Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Today, I'll talk to Tony Madden from M Advisory Group. Tony and his team are early adopters of outsourcing and offshoring, moving from an outsourcing model to a dedicated staff offshore model. Now, four years into the journey and with over 25 staff offshore, Tony shares his incredible insights, particularly on investing in human capital, appreciating the culture, and putting a premium on employee engagement and training. In Tony's words, treat the whole exercise as an investment strategy rather than a cost management strategy. And the dividend on these, as he says, are amazing. Tune in. Tony, give us an overview of your team structure, both your local and your offshore team, the number of team members, how long you've been going. Just tell us a little bit about your firm. Yeah, sure, Nick. We started uh, with Toa in 2014. Probably from that point, we started just with the one firm on the north side of Brisbane. Now we've got about seven odd locations. It's sort of a form a group. Now they are, our team makeup, we've probably got 50 onshore team across the, the seven uh, locations and then 25 plus offshore team. So probably a two to one split. And with those offshore team, they're covering uh, accounting roles with general tax and accounting compliance and superannuation as a, as a specialty. And, and there's a few in that group. And we've also got the admin support and we've just started up bookkeeping support as well. Excellent. So I know that you were one of our original clients, the early adopters, and you've certainly been growing over the years. I know there's there's even more roles in recruiting now and it won't be long before you're getting up to that 30. So Tony, tell us a little bit more, I suppose, about M Advisory Group. Do you have a niche market or are you more of a generalist type firms? No. At this stage, we don't, Nick. We don't have any, any niche in particular. The firms that are in part of our group, they've been in existence for 30 to 40 plus years. So over that time, you tend to have a legacy of clients and spread over various industries. So each firm, I suppose, have, has a level of concentration in particular industries. And that just comes down to the territory they operate in. So the concentrations may be in mining support, tourism, agriculture and, and manufacturing, probably the broadest port industries, but no particular niche in, in any particular area at all. Okay, great. So you've been on this journey coming up to four years now. So do you want to tell us about the story of setting up your offshore team? Originally, what were the motivations behind doing this versus obviously all the other priorities? And back in 2014, it was a bit taboo still. It wasn't something that, you know, is probably more common now. So Tell us a little bit about your story with your offshore journey. Yeah, I suppose being a suburban business, and I think the regional guys would find this as well, finding local talent is a challenge. And if you want to grow your business, try and find the right staff and put effort into them and making sure that, you know, that you're going to get your return off them. It's hit and, hit and miss. First of all, you can't find the talent. Then once you've got them, they see the bright lights in the city and then they go. So we always found that a challenge. So what we wanted to do is we wanted a, a more stable management of our capacity. 
So that's when we started to look at outsourcing. So early on, back in about 2006, seven, we started dabbling in outsourcing. So we had mixed results from that. And it wasn't until we were introduced to the concept of offshoring that we decided to go, well, look, let's, let's investigate this a bit more and try and really resolve our capacity issues with that strategy. And so far, that's been the best solution for us. Excellent. So what's the main difference between when you were outsourcing and sending like a project work across as opposed to what you now do where you have your own dedicated team and obviously it's spread across more than just accounting, it's obviously administration and and other areas. What's the main difference you've seen between the two models and why is the offshoring one working for you better? It's probably just, just controlling and managing the staff. It's that consistency. You know your staff, you know you've employed them and you've worked into developing them. And my managers have got that that connection, that direct connection with them. So if they put the effort into that individual, which would be like a cadet in Australia, they know that they're going to actually get a consistent outcome. So that's what we look for is that predictable outcome. Whereas with the um, outsourcing model, is it a lot of the work just sort of goes into a pool you don't necessarily have that direct contact. You don't know how it's going to come back. Sometimes we found is that you would have a level of, of staff because at the, they were front-loaded in trying to get you on, so there was a lot of effort in putting you put, putting the right people to serve, support you, which were their guns. And then probably year two or year three after that, they would take them off and then you were stuck back with junior staff trying to educate them again. And the whole process just restarts every two years effectively. Whereas, you know, the offshoring was more is a more stable way to train and develop your staff. Yeah, great. And I mean, and that's one thing, I mean, why we really set up this model was because of that. With my own firm, I had that experience where we were in essence having people changing all the time doing our work and the more successful the outsourcing firm were the lower the quality of the work got because obviously they're trying to bring juniors in and train them up and as we know that's a journey it doesn't just happen within a few months so yeah great input there tony so how did you go about setting up how did you what process did you take how long did it take i know it's it's a long time ago now for you but what was the journey that you went through to find us as a provider and i suppose getting a team up and running yeah, good question, Nick. The journey started, um, I mean, obviously we were outsourcing. That was working okay and, you know, we'd had some staff members sent over to India and Vietnam We had because we had different solutions. Just trying to sort how, how that was working. We thought we'd get some more return off by doing that. That was expensive and really um, hit and miss. And I think the... The idea of offshoring was, was sort of new, was left field, and I, I still remember the time I heard it, and it just struck a chord, and it was the first time that you presented down at the Gold Coast with a Rob Nixon presentation, and um, it just raised, I was at the back of the room, and I sort of tended to just listen. I thought I wasn't, ex- wasn't expecting too much, and it resonated with me, and I just, as soon as you got off the stage, I was fronted you straight up, and I said, mate, we've got to talk. This is a really great idea. From that I think I went down to the Gold Coast, uh, meet at your office. You sort of ran me through your facilities then uh, when you were doing financial planning. And then I still wasn't sure, but uh, I think I had a meeting with Mark Sade 
in uh, Bali. I think we're over for Rob Nixon thing. He just put on a staff member and um, he said, you've got to go. You've got to go and have a look. So I talked to you and you said, right, let's organise a trip. And um, the good thing about your trip at the time is that you actually showed us around at a, f- a few BPOs. So it wasn't just the one. And from that, I got to experience not only, you know, the Philippines for the first time, the culture, the people, but just the way and the vibe that, that you could just sense that there was a there was a real change and that there's, there was this this was going to happen and this was it was a bit of a wave that was happening and I just really wanted to be part of that and looking at the other BPOs and and, and understanding and talking to clients that, that utilize those services they were getting great outcomes but what I, I did identify is that ones that niched in a particular space that was probably the easiest decision to make is if you've got a BPO that supports Australian accounting firms, it's just a no-brainer. So we just went, right, okay, we, we bit the bullet, we put on two staff straight away after that trip and we have a look back. It's been a wonderful journey and obviously when you came over in 2014, that was when we were back in our original startup, what I call our startup offices. Obviously, a lot has changed um, during that journey for both you and us, which has been fantastic. So, Tony, for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them to move, for them to be able to move as quickly as possible? What would be the three most critical things that you would spend time on if you were redoing this? Yeah, look, the, the culture shift is the biggest one. So, I think that what you've got to try and do is if you're going to go down this road, you've got to give it full full engagement. So I suggest you've got to take a, a trip and that worked for us and I've talked to others and that's worked for them. And uh, looking at the the facilities, have a look at a few other facilities and just compare. You know, Tower's facilities are, are awesome and you know that the, the, the staff are getting looked after there. I also suggest you probably take one or two staff, other staff members with you and they might be the gatekeepers in your business. So you've got to really get them to understand and get the, the team engaged. So if you take one or two staff members that may be the gatekeepers, they, they will go over there, they will experience, and they will come back and improve your culture and improve the rest of the team's mindset around it. So they'll make the call on when you're ready to manage the process as well. So they'll go over there, they'll identify where the pitfalls are, where the hurdles are, better than you will. So I really encourage you to take your team, your managers or, or your senior staff because they'll, they'll look at it a, bit, a little bit different to you. Another thing that you probably need to get right would be your systems and processes. So they need a base. You need that right to leverage off. So obviously having a cloud solution is the best. You know, we moved to Office 365 environment with all cloud products. And, and software, which which supports both ends, and it just makes it so much easier to deal with staff. You know that communication piece is key. So you know Skype for business and having that, and making sure that that's um, utilised every day between your managers and your, your onshore team and your offshore team is key. So that's it, and, and just training, just consistently training, using your your new onboards to to basically find fault or, or find some concerns that may be in the training and just pivot and change that as well and refine it, which which is is an ongoing process. 
And probably the last thing is is that retention piece. So once you've invested and you've got them trained and they're engaged, you need to find a way to, to retain. So it's exciting onboarding, but you've got to put effort into retention because that is your investment and you've got to make sure that you're spending some time with them, engaging with them individually and finding out what makes them tick and giving them some some mentoring and some strategy on improvement for themselves. It's a great point, Tony, and, and I'm glad you brought it up because it's, I mean, it's just another office to your business. It just happens to, to be in the Philippines. One question I am going to ask you is around the training and how has that evolved for you over since you started to now? I mean, the amount of time and investment you needed when you had your first stuff, what's that look like then compared to now with a team of, you know, you're going to be close to 30 soon. How does the training, how much time do you have to spend on training a new person coming in now versus obviously when you put in all the work back four years ago? What's that look like now? Yeah, um, it's probably a good question for the managers. I, I'll probably <laughs> leave it to them. They would say that it's it, obviously it's a lot better. I mean, having a consistent team here, they know what to expect. So the training, obviously we've got modules and we've got different solutions that we use like screen steps, et cetera, so the staff can can use those those tools to, to, to get up to speed. Tower obviously do the onboarding and they're starting to roll out some more training, which we've taken up and it's been great for our team. Then probably from that, Nick, it's, it's just an ongoing with, I suppose, around the, the task. If, it's getting them training the the offshore team to right, ask the right question. Now, that's where the the critical piece is because they can keep on coming back and ask questions that they might be able to solve themselves by googling it or finding out within within what we've got as far as um, training modules, etc. But you don't want them to waste too much time. So it's trying to get them to prioritise and ask the right questions, which is the key. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think as your team obviously gets bigger, there's more resources for them to ask those questions to locally as opposed to also having to come back to your, your local um, Australian team and having to obviously ask them. Absolutely, Nick. Yeah, that's it. You know, having that, that at the moment, you know, with, with close to 30-odd staff, you know, that's we've got to that tipping point now, is it? You know, and we're starting to look at now different roles for our, our more senior staff and getting them to engage more with the juniors coming through and training them up. Yeah, great. So if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value that your offshore team provides, what would it be? I think that the I'm a big believer in, you know, your, your biggest asset is your people. So it's, as a phrase, probably investment in human capital. So one thing that I've identified with outsourcing is that, that sometimes – if you look at it as a cost to produce, you're looking at it the wrong, wrong way. Uh, I believe the offshore team is an investment. It's, it's off the balance sheet, but it's definitely an asset that the firms, if they get it right, can get and extract some value out of it. There's a financial return, however. There's also been value being developed in your knowledge and social capital. So, again, this is this investment in your people and having the offshore model provides that mechanism I believe Nick to enhance our ability to capture and document manage the knowledge amongst our team and that's cross-functional across you know the onboard onshore team and the offshore team 
and that helps support and encourage the practice of knowledge sharing and knowledge transfer. So, I mean, once you've got that that size and you've got that knowledge transfer and that trust, and you're dissolving this fact that we're onshore and offshore, we're one team. So that knowledge transfer is gold, and that's where real the investment starts to to pay dividends. On the social side, uh, all our staff offshore, they're extremely positive people and they love life, always willing to go above and beyond for our business, which that's touching. It's Again, that's why I'm, I'm so engaged with this process. If you know that you know, you've got so much loyalty in return from your offshore team, it just keeps you going. It keeps you investing in that. And, and, and you really want to make sure that they get the most out of it for themselves and their families as well. Yeah, so really that piece is, you know, I suppose it's hard in one word or phrase, Nick, but um, yeah, it, that's it it, it's investment. Yeah. Yeah, no, you answer that perfectly. So, Tony, there's obviously a lot of perceptions about offshoring. What are the main things that you've heard over the years and what surprised you probably the most? I think the initial one always comes up as privacy and security of information and the, tip, the challenges of giving back to your profession, I suppose, domestically and taking away from, away from Australians their jobs. So, look, I've heard a lot of this from mainly inside the profession. And, look, a lot of that gets... Once you start to experience it, you, it, it is addressed fairly significantly because there are providers in there that can can assist with that, especially around your security and privacy information and, and really taken away from the, the people's jobs. Look, my, my initial thoughts were that, you know, accountants didn't, we didn't go to uni to complete tax returns. We have so much more to offer and, and this is what this model allows. So as time has gone on, I believe, you know, that some of the firms are probably just more scared to make the leap than anything and they feel that they, they're stuck or they stick in the way that they are doing things and that this will go away. Look, you can't stop this wave. It is happening and proactive and probably, I don't like to use the word new age, but the model is disrupted. The the accounting profession model is disrupted at public practice level. And if you want to continue controlling the task and, and, and trying to find talent that they're just going to continually do that onshore, you're going to run out of talent. That talent is in places like the Philippines. They're more than happy to do it. They're highly skilled. They're trained. They understand accounting and taxation. And they can support you to go to that next level in the advisory space, which is what the profession talks about. You know, we all want to do advisory work. Well, unless you get off the tools and unless you refocus your resources, I don't think you can make that change. And really the surprises that I found from going through this Nick, is just the people and just the quality, you know, their loyalty and the quality of, of, of what you get has been amazing. So they're smart, they're, they're, they're engaged in it once you start to communicate the vision with them. And, and basically it's a win-win for both them and for your onshore team because your onshore team then get excited because they start to see that the vision starting to roll out and you go, well, we're going to and we will be doing advisory work. It's a little bit more fun for you guys. How does that sound? And they're all for it. They want to do it. They want to see that, that, that there's new challenges. So, 
yeah, you get buy-in from both sides. And how's it been? It's a really good point with your local team. Have you found that the staff that you have locally are doing higher level of work and that they're progressing their careers quicker than they would have if you didn't have the offshore team? Yeah, looking in, in pockets, uh, probably at the moment, Nick, you know, we've been, been in this building phase and we, I think we're at the tipping point now that, you know, with the size that we've got, we will start to see this happen. In pockets, I've, I've definitely seen this. We've had, had a few staff that start to go, I want the new challenges. I'm looking at more of the advisory and providing more specialisations. That is happening, but it's, I, I would say if you ask me in another 12 months' time, I'll be more confident that that is happening, Nick. Yeah, great. So talking about the 12 months' time, the year ahead, what's the plan with your offshore team? How do you plan to keep growing your team, their capacity and performance, and obviously the culture that you're building with your team over there? Look, the capacity requirements will continue to grow as the team takes on more tasks and as our business grows. The team members have an offshore, have offshore mentors and managers to assist them focus on what's next with their capability development. So that will... Uh, probably dictate a bit more as to improving the, the performance and capabilities and just working together and then finding the pathway that supports not only them but also our business. So we've got some exciting things that we want to roll out in the next 12 months as far as products and services to our client base. So that's going to extend the, the team a little bit. And it's just for our, for our year, like I said, Nick, we're at a tipping point. We're at a, we're at a size now where it's just really a, we want to refine. So this, this next 12 months is about refinement. It's probably putting in more structure around leadership, so mainly on the offshore team, so putting in supervisor levels and team leader type levels. And then just also probably a bit more into training, PD. So again, okay, as your seniors, you might be at this level in the next 12 months. We want to see you being have, having capabilities in, in particular areas, and that's where we will start to fill that with, with training and PD. Yeah, I think that's a great point that the listeners should really, I suppose, take on board is that the team members have an onshore mentor and manager to assist them on what's next for, the, for your team members' capability development and really mapping out that plan for your offshore team they're millennials. They want to know what their future is. They want to know where you're going and where they fit within that part of the puzzle. I mean, I think what, how you're doing it is fantastic. I mean, your retention rates are fantastic. I mean, they're brilliant for a reason. And I think that's a big point for anyone looking to, to offshore or that currently is but wants more engagement. It's really having those mentors and working on these millennials to help them grow their careers. So great point, Tony. Now, I'm going to ask you for a recommendation here. So, recommendation to our listeners, what are some of the top things that you would recommend people do in managing an offshore team? Yeah, communication is key and make it frequent with the individuals. So, we have group communications weekly, but it's probably got to a size now where it's, it's, it's too big. So, we sort of break that down. And now we we funnel that through, through to just the managers and they are in contact every day every work day. So they're in the morning and, and utilising the tool Skype for business has, has been a game changer. So it's just the text uh, rather than uh, video conference. So And having that regular contact communication and, and resolving the issues as they come up, the hurdles for them is, is, is probably the key. 
and probably then being specific with your team on time frames and budgets. So for the tasks, if you're not specific with them, they can take a bit more time and they can blow your budget. So because they're trying to find the answer and they're not, not necessarily too concerned about how long that will take. So you, you need to sort of cut that down. The other thing is probably just to treat the offshore team the same as your onshore team. Uh, so providing them with the respect will pay dividends and treating the whole exercise as an investment rather than a cost management strategy. So if you're, you know, and I've explained that previously, Nick, is it, it, this, this is not a cost. This is, this is obviously an investment in human capital. So you've really just got to, like any other investment, you've got to put time and effort and monitor that consistently. And, you know, the more training and the more that you give them, the more the reward's going to be. Probably one other thing that you've, you've got to nail is, is explaining the vision. So if you're clear on where your business or your group's going to go, you need to explain that to them. And that's what, you know, they're, they're the same as your, your team domestically. They've got, they've got aspirations themselves and they want to belong. They want to be part of something. They want to be part of a journey. So they want that purpose, you know. So you've got to you've got to really sell that vision to them and get full engagement that way. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that one more. Particularly knowing our staff dynamics. I mean, seventy percent female, average age thirty. So we're right in that millennial bracket, and and they want to know what their future is. Majority of them are the main income earners for their families, so they want to know and buy into your vision. And it's, it's amazing how proud the, the Philippine staff are of, of working for their clients and working from advisories. A, you know, it's a big thing over there. It's not, you know, it's something that they're really proud of, of their client, which is a fantastic thing. So, Tony, you talked a little bit about, obviously, around how things can blow out if there's no clear communication and timeframes put on jobs. So what metrics or KPIs do you use to measure the success of your offshore team? The one thing that I treat of utilised is, you know, obviously I'm at the leadership position across the, the the firm. You know, I'm I'm there to probably say, well, we're going down this road, and we we actually, and this is the vision. I then put some more responsibilities back on the managers because they and and get them to come back and make sure that they they clear from me that this is the way that we're going. Then I then say to them, well, what sort of resources do you need to make that happen? So that's them for them to control the, the staff, uh, the, the offshore team, because at the end of the day, I'm looking at as a business, what's the return I can get from the managers utilising the resources that I give them. So from that, the managers, you know, they are looking at that productivity, but they're also driving, we've got to get work through. So it's KPIs around that turnaround. So it's getting them to, to the staff to ask the right questions, to get the resolution of the task done, to get the job through, out to the client, and then pick up the next one. So, you know, productivity targets, yeah, sure, we've get, we get those, and we then look at the utilisation rate. But it's more the KPIs are driven around that leverage component and getting our managers just to focus on that. Is it there's the staff. There's a number of jobs. That's your capacity. You can get through X number of hours or X number of jobs. And as more work comes in, then we scale up from there. Yeah, great. And I'm hearing that more and more from accountants these days. 
is around this jobs out. So how many jobs are we getting out? And that's a daily measure as opposed to, you know, productivity as we all know, you know, someone working 10 hours may be actually less productive than someone working five. Um, and it's easy to fudge these productivity worksheets and, and timesheets that everyone's had to use most of their accounting life. But um, it's an interesting one. So Tony, how has offshoring benefited your clients? Yeah, look, that capacity issue is taken away. So throughput's improving. So we're, you know, at the moment, you know, this year capacity-wise, and that's that's really just only been happened because of onshore changes more than anything, but it has improved our throughput. So that, just that capacity to lean on has been fantastic. For our clients, that, that allows us to provide additional support and, and services. So that advisory piece is improving for us as a firm and across the group. So that's been really the benefits. And we've actually started to introduce the concepts to our clients to open their minds and the possibilities in their own business. So, you know, I've, I've talked to a number of clients is to look at more globally what, what they can do to try and support their tasks. And I've actually started to take clients over. To, um, I go over every year, at least once a year. And um, and I'll start probably take at least one client ideally with me each year for the journey just to open their eyes up with what are the possibilities with offshoring. It's a great way and I've been saying for many years that I I truly believe that offshoring could actually be a business advisory service for firms to give to their clients and be able to charge around the advice side of it anyway, around, you know, what sort of what's in their PL, what could they look at building a global team and environment for. So how has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Has it given you more work-life balance? What's it done for you as personally? Yeah, look, look this, this was the catalyst for, for the change is to get that work-life balance. So I've got a young family and, you know, that, they don't stay young for, for too long. You know, they're, you know, the oldest boy now is 15. And when I started this journey, you, you know, I thought I'll, I'll get more time and I'll get more, you know, obviously opportunities to, to spend quality time when, with the family. And I believe that we're probably at that tipping point now where I am going to take some more time off. And, you know, that's a key for everyone, I believe. And also just for the managers as well. It's just if giving them the resources to, to manage their, their lives or their workflow so that I can get that predictable outcome from them, is that if, it, if this is making their life easier, it's making my life easier. So that's what I focus on. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. So has offshoring had an effect on the firm's average hourly rate or profit to the firm? Uh, yeah, good question. I'd like to say to my accountant, yes, it's been a, a wonderful return so far. Look, it, it's a build. So it, it's that investment. And yeah, we've, we're very confident now across the group. And as you can imagine, a group strategy takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of commitment uh, conversations. It takes a lot of changes internally in, in various firms to get to that point. So now we're, we're pretty confident that it's built and we will start to see some great returns going forward. Yeah, and we always say to firms, look, it's not, you, the profit is a byproduct of building a global team. It's, you've got so many other benefits that can't always be measured on the bottom line. But, you know, as the journey continues to go on, it, it always does add to the bottom line at some point, depending on whether you're in growth phase or stability phase or, or where you're at. 
So, Tony, what one bit of advice would you give your younger self from a business point of view? Do your own thing and stay focused on what you know works. Reduce compromise. So, if you know where you've got to go and something's in the way of, of achievement, it's a distraction. Move it. Don't act. Don't go and chase every little silver shiny thing. So, just stay focused. Reduce compromise. That's key. Great advice. One bit of advice you'd give your younger self from a personal point of view? Um, act. One thing that I've found, and that's I think that's just biology, is that once you reach 40, you start to, you give a shit factors reduced. So <laughs> um, you actually just, you know, I wish I had that mentality back when I was in my 20s and 30s. And yeah, you've just got to act. And you don't really have an abundance of time. So if I was a young bloke, that's, you know, I heard it. I still heard it when I was younger from mentors or or older people. But you go, ah, no, it'll be right. It'll be right. I've got plenty of time. But it, it it just goes so quick. So act. Act now. Great advice. Couldn't agree more with it. So, Tony, what's been the biggest myth or objection you've heard about having an offshore team? And is it true? And I'll take our jobs. Uh, that's the biggest one. Uh, look, yeah, it doesn't happen. Our teams have actually grown by putting an offshore team on. Delegation, you, you've got to think that delegation is a continuum and you've got to make your jobs, you've got to free, free yourself up. So you've got to have support for that. So you've, you've got to look at things that you can continually delegate and send them down, down the, down the line. And one thing for sure, that there's always going to be small business and they'll always require support from accountants. So we're seeing that now with the profession continually evolving from you know the form filling environment to the advisory space. So you've just got to if you if you if you hang on to that form filling space and you hang on to you know doing your own reconciliations and controlling your own data and you're not looking forward to to what you can do to expand yourself and grow your own personal value. Well, you know that's something that you really need to have a look at yourself with. So, yeah, look, yeah, probably a long way to answer that, Nick, but, yeah, taking your jobs, that's that's not the key. It's um, you just got to delegate and find more opportunities, and that's what you do find. You know, you'll, you'll find once you start to, to take all the tasks off your list and you give it to someone else, you're going to find new jobs. That just happens. Couldn't agree more. And it's funny, the more you talk to clients, the more work they give you too. <laughs> so for someone looking to grow their business or, or team, what would be the best piece of advice that you've heard and implemented that you could pass on? Yeah, simple. Uh, stay focused and give you 100% attention daily to what you're trying to achieve. Looking for a silver bullet solution is just a distraction. So just stay away from that. Stay focused. That's, that's key. Couldn't agree more. So we're going to finish off with five in five quickly. So what cloud software do you use? Uh, Zero and XPM. Wonderful. What's your favourite app? Yeah, look, um, for clients, um, Zero Receipt Bank, that combination is fantastic. Just frees them up so much more. For me at the moment, I'm just loving podcasts. That ability to be able to listen to a specialist or you know a, a business guru or even for sports or anything like that, you know, podcasts are awesome. I love them. Couldn't agree more. 
What is your must read each week? Um, look, yeah, anything that relates to the NRL. Um, I'm a bit of a tragic with the footy. So, but professionally, you know, accountants daily is is one that I, I look at every every day or whenever it comes up. So for sure that. Great. Who's your NRL team? The Eels, mate. Parramatta Eels. The Eels. One of those supporters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is your favourite social media channel? I'm not a big one on it. I must admit, direct communication I like. I, I, I know that there's an importance in, in that. Like I said before, I, I, re- I maintain focus and that's that's been my driver for, for a number of years now. And I just find social media a little bit more of a distraction. So, but and I think that if we were, if we needed to really turn the marketing tap on, and um, and we probably are going to head into that space now that we've got the capacity built, is that I need to get my head around a little bit more. So, I mean, I am on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Twitter, but I've still got to, I've got to educate myself on the importance of that, Nick. I love it. I haven't heard that for a while, but direct communication, it's funny how people forget about that. (laughs) All righty, the last one, favourite KPI. What's your one favourite KPI? Yeah, job shipped. That's it. Get them out the door, throughput. Focus them on that. Everything else falls into line. Yeah, love it. So how can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to reach out to you? And you're obviously not on social too much, so what's the best way for them to contact you? Ah uh, yeah, look, email uh, Tony at overells.com.au and you know I am on LinkedIn, Tony Madden, you know, based in Brisbane. So yeah, look, and you know on Twitter as well. But I, you know, I probably won't respond. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. We'll put all those details in the show notes. Okay. So thank you very much for your time today, Tony. That's been fantastic with lots of takeaways today. So that's great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.